So uh, tonight's message um, is a sobering one. It's one that causes uh, great consideration and uh, self-examination. It is a very serious and yet joyous one. It is one that Satan hates and will try his best to intercept its message. At all costs, he wants nothing more than to distract you from these truths. He wants to twist to conceal these truths. He wants to deceive you and sift you like wheat. This message is one that comes with great peace to the believer and the one who will heed its message. There is power and great authority in these verses. May we bow our heads and plead with God to give us understanding and to protect us from the evil one. I want you to do this now in your own hearts. Um, ask that God would guard your heart from Satan's attempts to steal your joy in this passage. Ask God that he would uh, not allow Satan to have his way with you. That you would be sober-minded and that these truths would rest heavily on you. That the joy of knowing Christ would come to you and that God would make his home with you. Father, I ask that you would do just that. You would come. You would guard us, Lord. Everyone who's in here, Father. I pray, Lord, that this message would pierce hearts. It would transform lives. Satan really does hate this message. He really, really does. He will do everything he can to try to snatch the seed I pray you would help us, Father. Help me speak the truth. Help us to receive this. Have uh, ears that hear, eyes that see. Help us, Lord. Give us grace. I thank you and love you in your name. Uh, So our text today in chapter 3 is 7 through 10. It says, Little children... Let no one deceive you. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous as he is righteous. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil. For the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning. For God's seed abides in him. And he cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. By this, it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. As I've already stated, these verses uh, are serious and have massive implications. John is not playing any games here. He understands the deception that is surrounding the churches he is writing to and the deception that is amongst every generation. He states plainly in verse 7, like a caring father to his children, let no one deceive you. Jeremy talked briefly last week about the issues, of these, the issues these churches were experiencing. How the false teachers and deceivers uh, were teaching two very different things. And both are very detrimental to your souls. 
One being antinomianism, that those who have faith in Jesus can sin, that grace may abound. They said it's okay to sin because it's just your flesh sinning. Your spirit is alive to God, so you can live however you want. You don't have to take the commands of God seriously. You're sealed and nothing can separate you from his love. So go ahead and indulge in whatever kinds of sin you want. Eat, drink, and be merry. This, I'm afraid, is far too common amongst the churches today. Some of us who have fallen to this deception would say, that's not me. I don't actually think that way. That's not something I would actually say out loud. Yet that is exactly what your heart is saying. If you're unrepentant of your sin and you have no desire to change and pursue a relationship with Christ, you are this person. You go to church on Sundays and have no lasting change throughout the week. The Word of God has no impact on your life. Or you may not even read the Word of God at all. My dear friend, you have fallen prey to this deception. The other deception John is trying to expose that many have fallen to in this time, and in his time and in ours, is legalism. That you must be perfect and never sin. Legalism exalts the law above grace. Legalism says that you can earn your way to heaven by your righteous deeds. This, too, is a common practice of the church today. We have a tendency more oftentimes than not to continually float from one extreme to the other. When we realize our state of being on one side uh, or the other, we fling ourselves all the way back to the other side. So sometimes we think, oh, I'm not uh, reading my Bible enough. I'm not doing this. I'm not checking off my list. I'm not doing this, 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 this. And then we fling all the way over to legalism. And sometimes we're doing that. And we feel like we're being way too strict and way too stern. And we fling all the way back to the other side. And we feel uh, maybe I should do a little less. We must find the balance. And only by a serious study of the word of God daily in our communion with him will we find that medium. John wants us to be aware of both and not fall victim to this deception. We have said, we have said it since week one. One of the reasons John wrote this letter was to protect us from false teachers. This kind of deception and false teaching is a lie and comes from the father of lies, who is Satan. These false teachers that John is referring to come from Satan and are his children. John is urging us to know the truth and guard ourselves from the enemy by studying and knowing the voice of God through his word. John goes on in these uh, weighty verses to say something so drastic something that would cause a great gasp in many churches today. There are few verses in the Bible that are more serious and weighty than these. He separates those he is writing to, and really us, into two, two natures, two different categories. The two natures that he mentions, uh, all who exist and walk on this earth are separated into two categories. Children of God and children of the devil. That is weighty and serious. There is no third option. This should grab our attention and should cause us to tremble. We should not brush over, this, uh, over a text like this or make light of such a text. We should pay very close attention to John's words. Some of you very, very well may be children of the devil. That is, you call Satan your father and probably don't even realize it. And some of you, by God's grace, are children of God, and that should result in humility and never-ending praise for the peace and joy that uh, you can experience because of your relationship, that you can call God your Father. 
I talked a good bit about uh, this a couple weeks ago, but John states plainly what it is that separates these two groups of people. What separates these two groups of people is a practice of sin, or in the positive sense, a practice of righteousness. Now, some of you may be thinking, okay, this sounds a lot like legalism. But I will further explain a little later why it is not, so just bear with me. We see in verse 10, John makes uh, it very clear. In verse 10, he says, By this it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is one who does not love his brother. There could not be a more obvious line drawn in the sand than that. If you practice righteousness, you have been born of God. If you do not practice righteousness, you are a child of the devil. I want us to see the severity of this text. John has just separated us into two, two categories based on our practice, whether that be sin or righteousness. This should cause us to consider and examine ourselves. We are commanded in 2 Corinthians 13 to examine ourselves to see whether we are in the faith. John's intention in these verses is to affirm the saints. Remember, this is another reason he wrote the letter, to affirm the saints. And he wants us to take sin very seriously. If we do not take sin seriously, we are in grave danger. If the practice of our sin is the dividing line between children of God or children of the devil, then we should take the reality of our own sinfulness very seriously. Apart from God, we are all dead in sin. We are slaves to sin. We cannot practice righteousness at all. God has given us his law and commands it to be kept completely and perfectly. We cannot do this and are thus under God's eternal punishment. The result of sin is lifeless creatures following the prince of the power of the air or their father, Satan, to their own destruction. Sin is carrying out the desires of our fleshly body and hating anything that has to do with God. Sin has separated us from our creator and caused us to be at enmity with him. Our flesh and human disposition to sin causes us to be always against the things of the spirit. Galatians 5 says the desires of the flesh are against the spirit. Those who practice sin are going to suffer under wrath of God for all eternity. Because he is a just God, he will not let up or show mercy to those who do not have faith in him. On the day of judgment, his decision will be final because of your sin. Romans 3 says that those who do not have the faith have no peace and cannot know true peace. Those who practice sin are bearing fruit for death and are slaves to their sin. Our sin nature brings judgment and condemnation upon our souls. We can do no good in and of ourselves. The wrath of God is waiting to be unleashed on our heads and consume us for our ungodliness. Now, please stick with me. This is terrible news, but there is very, very, very good news in this text. The good news will not have its proper effect, though, if you don't understand the sinfulness of our nature. We must see the serious implications of our sin and heed the warnings in Scripture of continuing in sin. If you treat your sin as a light thing, then you are in serious trouble and need to confess and ask God to help you be serious about sin and its implications. Let no one leave here tonight unchanged and unfazed by the message John has for us. Eternity is at stake here. May you leave a child of God and no longer be enslaved to your sin, being a child of the devil. 
Practice righteousness. Do not keep on practicing and living in sin. Now, if I were to stop here, which I'm not, if I were to close and end my message with practice righteousness and you will be saved, but do not practice righteousness and you will perish, then you would be right in calling me a heretic. I will be no different than the deceivers of John's time telling you to do this and that to be saved. I will be preaching legalism if I were to end there. If I talk nothing of grace and justification by faith alone, then I should be run out of this church to never preach again. But thanks be to God that John does not end his message here. Thanks be to God that there is a way in which it is possible to be made righteous in this sinful nature. That it is by grace through faith in our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. John has been giving us the remedy to our problem throughout this entire letter. And even in our passage in these verses, which I have not yet mentioned. Now I need you to refocus and take heed of this message that John has for us. That was a lot of bad news. So I need you to re-dial in and hear the good news. The, the things that I will be talking about also have massive implications, even better implications than before. This beautiful message and this practice, uh, and this practice of sin Sorry, I have a double page. This beautiful message and this great news that John has for us is found in verses 5 and 8. Verse 5 says, You know that he appeared, Jesus, in order to take away sins, and in him there is no sin. And in verse 8 he says, Whoever makes a practice of sinnings of the devil, for the devil has been sinning, from the beginning, the reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. In the midst of these commands to practice righteousness, we find the heartbeat of this command, the source of life in this command, the sweet, sweet treasure that is found in these commands, and that is Jesus Christ. God in the flesh has come to this earth in order to take away sins. He has come in verse 8 to destroy the works of the devil. My entire message has had a weight on it, a kind of dark cloud hovering over it. An impossible task of righteousness in and of ourselves. And in comes a sweet statement of truth that Jesus has come to take away sins and destroy the works of the devil. This is one of the most plain and obvious reasons that Jesus has took on the flesh and came to live amongst us. To take away the sin and render Satan powerless. This is why I mentioned earlier that uh, Satan hates this message. It completely renders him powerless. Praise God. Anytime you preach the gospel, Satan hates it. But there is no verse more plain and sure to make Satan angry than the fact that the works of him are destroyed. We're not talking about a fight here. Satan does not put up a fight. His power is gone. The chains of our sin are broken because of Christ. Jesus comes to the scene and totally wipes him away. Oh, death, where is your sting? Oh, hell, where is your victory? Jesus Christ has rendered you defeated. This is such good news. News that should cause us to weep for joy and sing for praises forevermore. But how? How is this possible? It is possible because of God taking on flesh and living a sinless, uh, perfect life and paying the debt of our sin. 
By sending his son Jesus in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. Romans 8, 3 through 4 says, You who were once slaves of sin have now been made slaves of righteousness by the blood of Jesus, if you put your faith and trust in him. This is who John the Baptist proclaimed was the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Jesus has shed his blood on that old rugged cross to remove our sins and make us white as snow. The only way this is possible is if he is exactly who he said he was, the perfect sinless Lamb of God. John already proclaimed in verse 5 that there is no sin in him. Paul says it beautifully in 2 Corinthians 5 verse 21. For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Such good news. Jesus Christ lives to intercede for us, the author of Hebrews tells us. We have the sweetest treasure beyond anything we can think of if we, uh, if we put our faith in Jesus. We have been brought from death to life in Christ Jesus. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. This is our rebirth, our new life and hope given to us because of Christ's work on the cross. Satan has lost his grip on us. And we can now walk in obedience to Jesus' commands. We receive new desires and new affections. It is not a burden to follow Jesus' commands. We once cherished our sin, but now Christ has made us new and we delight in the things of God. And sin is no longer desirable. Praise God. We see sin as the damning and condemning thing that it is. Our relationship with God the Father is blood-bought. It gives us new taste buds that begin to find sin repulsive and vile compared to the sweetness of God's commands. If you put your faith in Jesus, then you have been crucified along with Christ, and you are no longer living, but Christ is living in you. The life you live in the flesh, you live by faith in the Son of God who loved you and gave himself for you. This is the only way we can practice righteousness, by keeping in step with the Spirit and living by faith in Jesus. The result of this trust And faith in Jesus is we are now sons of God, no longer sons of the devil. This is why John can say in verse 9 that no one born of God makes a practice of sinning. For God's seed abides in him, and he cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. God has given us new life, and we are no longer children of the devil, but children of God. We have freedom from sin and its power. This new birth and regeneration is a work of God and is not based on anything that we have done. It is by grace alone through faith alone and the atoning work of Jesus. This work accomplished uh, in Christ forgives us our debt and gives us power to fight sin. I also said this a couple weeks ago that Christ's life and death has bought for us the power to defeat sin. Not only to be saved from wrath, but also to live a righteous and holy life. The life that John is plainly saying we must live. Jeremy also said this last week that we are not talking about perfection. We will not be perfect in this life. John addresses the issue. But we will look more and more like Christ. We will be sanctified by the Holy Spirit who is the seal of our inheritance. This is such good news. The burden of sin has been lifted off us and put on Christ. 
And those who put their faith in him will be justified. Those who are justified will be glorified. Daniel Aiken says this, By means of Christ's atonement, sin's penalty has been nullified for the child of God. By means of the new birth, sin's power has been neutralized and dealt a death blow. And by virtue of his two appearings, sin's presence will soon pass away forever. All praise, honor, and glory belong to God and God alone. Now, as I close, I want to end with, some, with something you can take home with you and immediately put to practice. We need to cherish the word of God and soak it up. Don't let a day go by that you don't enjoy communion and fellowship with the one who has saved you from the wrath of God in your sin. John says it over and over again, abide in him. No one who abides in him can keep on sinning. Abide in the word of God. Abide in Christ. I could do my best to give you a great word of encouragement, or I could simply read the inspired scripture and let it rest heavily on your souls. Paul says in Philippians chapter 2, verse 12 through 16, Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Do all things without grumbling or disputing, that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world. Listen to this, holding fast to the word of life. And now, if you would turn to Second uh, Peter chapter 1, real quick. We'll start in verse 3. This is what I'll leave you with. Memorize these verses. This is what your response should be. If you want to be assured you are a child of God, do these things. Verse 3 says, His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through, his, through the knowledge of Him, who called us to His own glory and excellence, by which He has granted to us His precious and very great promises, so that through them, you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. For this very reason, lesson this, for this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with steadfastness and steadfastness with godliness and godliness with, self, with brotherly affection and brotherly affection with love. For if, if these qualities are yours, and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. For if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. For in this way, there will be richly provided for you an entrance into eternal kingdom, into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Father, I thank you for this word. I thank you for your word, that it is true. I thank you that you have destroyed the works of the devil. 
There is good news in the gospel, Father, and I pray that it would fall on ears that are willing to receive it, Father. I pray that you would pierce hearts, you would transform lives. I pray that the Spirit would move and it would work, and the seed would not be snatched away, it would fall in good soil. I thank you and love you for your word that you have given us, that we can abide in it and cherish it and find true and lasting joy in who you are. I thank you, Lord. I love you. I pray for small groups that they would be fruitful. We would be encouraged and strengthened. I thank you and love you in your name.